All right. Hey, y'all. How's everything going? Uh, welcome to the Knock LA Weekly Update uh, podcast thing. It's It's been a week. It's it been such such a week. Oh, my God. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, with Amanda Pantoja. I'm sorry. I butchered your name all of a second sudden there. Uh, from Food and Water Watch uh, about the LA100 plan, the plan to get LA to 100% renewable energy by 2035. Um, but before we do that, uh, oh, and after that, we're going to be talking about the Echo Park Lake uh, situation, for want of a better term. Uh, catastrophe and clusterfuck come to mind as other alternative options. Um, and we're going to touch briefly on COVID a little bit there. But before we get all into that stuff, how's everything going for you, Squirrel? Well, I feel like I, I feel like I made a really bad decision a couple of weeks ago when I went in on a timeshare on an Echo Park Lake swan boat. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, it's been a it's been a long fucking week, so I'm not going to talk about that too much. No, nope. um, but I am going to I am going to touch briefly on the subject that is keeping us all up at night, that has disquieted our souls and brought us back to the winter of our discontent. And that is uh, that the boat got unstuck. And frankly, <laughs> put the fucking boat back. It was the one good thing we had going on. <laughs> it was the only globally good, celebrated, happy thing that everyone could participate in and enjoy. And you fuckers went and moved the boat. It, leave the boat alone. Leave the boat alone. Yeah, um, you knew that wasn't going to stick around yeah. for that long. So uh, that's all I have is, is a desire to stick the boat back in the Suez Canal and go back to that happier time like 72, 100 hours ago when all seemed right with the world. Global trade was brought to a screeching halt and uh, Echo Park Lake still had a vibrant, thriving community. How about yourself, Chris? Uh, How are God, you doing? That was, that was so not that long ago. That was so not that long ago. Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, that, that whole... Last week, the close to last week really sucked, and it kind of, I would actually say all of last week uh, really sucked. Uh, there was there was a lot about last week that was terrible, and, uh, you know, onward and upward, uh, and, and, you know, we, we, will, we will win in the end because we have tireless organizing friends around us, uh, and this is all about uh, building that solidarity and, and that power, because that's the only way we're going to be able to get through this shit, because... Oh my God! The forces of capital and you know vested political power are so, so like aligned against us. It's not even fucking funny right now. So uh, let's let's, uh, let's go ahead and get us on into things. You want to introduce introduce our guest? Yeah. So uh, the National Renewable Energy Labs released a report uh, this last week or about a, a, a sorry, a week before last uh, exploring whether or not L.A. could switch to 100 percent renewable energy uh, before 2035. And it turns out we can. It is very doable. And so in order to discuss that, we have Amanda Pantoja, who is on here from uh, Food and Water Watch. Uh, she's an organizer with them. So we're going to talk the L.A. 100 plan. How are you doing this evening, Amanda? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited Thank you so to have much you. For making the time. Yeah, we're gonna talk over each other. <laughs> <laughs> Used We've to been that. doing this for three years. We should be able to read each other's minds and not talk over each other. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I want to start off um, for people who may not be familiar. I kind of gave a little synopsis of what the LA 100 plan is, but hopefully you can give a, a little bit more in-depth overview and kind of how we got to this point where. 
we're actually studying the feasibility of getting off of fossil fuels here in LA. Yeah, of course. So I would love to just open up with the background on how we got the LA 100 study. So the LA 100 study actually came out of the Aliso Canyon gas blowout, which happened about five years ago, and it was the largest methane gas leak in U.S. history, happened right here in L.A., and that really put the community members to demand alternatives to dangerous sources of energy, such as natural gas, which is a energy source that we rely heavily on here in L.A., and so from the community pushing for the city to investigate different sources of energy, we got a motion at LA City Council to really study potential pathways that can get LA to 100% clean energy future. And that's how we got the LA 100 study. It's really the first study of its kind that really looks into how we can get LA to 100% clean energy. It ran millions of simulations to arrive to four scenarios to consider planning our clean energy future. And those four scenarios are the SB100 scenario, which looks into the legislation that our now uh, current council member, Kevin DeLeon, who is former senator, looks into transitioning to carbon-free energy by 2045. There is the transmission-focused scenario and limited new transmission-focused scenario that also looks into 2045 and looks into exploring uh, transmissions in order to get us to the clean energy scenario. And we also have the early no biofuels scenario, which is the quickest of these uh, scenarios. I've said scenarios a lot, <laughs> but it's the quickest and it gets us to 2035 to 100% clean energy with no biofuels, which is a big deal because we want to make sure that this clean energy transition doesn't include false solutions like biofuels. And hydrogen is also a source of energy that is contested, and but unfortunately is part of the plan. But overall, I would say that this is a extremely critical moment in LA as there is a lot of momentum at city council and at the city level, at community ground level as well, to really respond to climate change. And this is huge in setting a precedent to how we're going to be transitioning to clean energy. As we all know, it's necessary. It's long overdue. Oh, yeah. And we know that the tech is there. We have the community demanding that we need clean energy. Really, what we need to do is push for our elected officials to respond to these community needs, respond to the climate crisis with the urgency that it deserves. And we're really excited to see what can come out with um, what the LA 100 study is presenting. Uh, so I wanted to ask just a quick clarifying question for the no biofuel scenario. What are biofuels and why do we want to stay away from them? Great. Yeah, great question. So biofuels are a source of energy that come from the combustion of cow farts. And they, um, they are considered a green renewable source of energy because, you know, they come from cows and you can, um, you don't really have to like grill <laughs> for them. So that's why they're considered green. But we don't think that biofuels or biogas, biomass is a 
is a sustainable, clean source of energy because one, it is really expensive to produce when there are so much better alternatives to biofuels like solar energy, battery storage, wind. We know that those technologies are viable, affordable. So to build a biocombustor that can that is really expensive and also keeps the gas industry relevant. The gas industry loves biofuels because they get to market it as their contribution to climate action and that this is this great clean source of energy. But we know that they just want to be touting biofuels and biogas because it keeps them relevant. It keeps their pockets lined, right? But we obviously see right through that and uh, we want to make sure that biofuels aren't in the clean energy transition. And that's like where the hydrogen situation comes down from too, right? Is that we're not, when we're talking about the introduction of hydrogen at scale here uh, in the state of California and specifically in Los Angeles, they're not talking about like green hydrogen. They're talking about what's either uh, blue or gray hydrogen, correct? Where it's cracked from natural gas, where you basically like, you cook the natural gas to pull the hydrogen out. So then it's going to be green at the, like at the point of utilization, but not green at all in the production of it. In fact, it's, I believe it's more carbon intensive than just using natural gas straight up. Like it's absolutely atrocious and terrible stuff. And again, it's being pushed as a green solution by the, uh, the big oil companies. Exactly. Yeah. It is considered carbon, um, doesn't have any carbon emissions, but to create hydrogen, it, it, it can be very pollutive. And also, I think that something that raises a flag for us as well is where are they going to be putting these hydrogen plants, which are extremely dangerous. There aren't any safer, I would say, than gas. You have a whole hydrogen plant next to communities. This has to go beyond what we're considering just clean energy. We also want to look at what's safe energy, what's really worth investing and biogas and hydrogen, they are, you know, looked at and investigated as clean, but we need to be really thinking more strategically about what's a great investment. And we know that there are technologies like solar, like battery storage, and even other practices such as demand response and energy efficiency that go in tandem with these clean energy um, sources that definitely um, provide us with a more equitable, affordable transition than relying or even considering biomass or hydrogen. And that's so, what people refer to as like smart yeah. grid technology, right? Yes. Perfect. So I, I you know, I do think it's interesting. I think um, maybe it's it, we'll explore at a little bit later date the dangers of things like hydrogen, of fossil fuels, because we sort of in America just accepted that we have refineries that may explode just in our neighborhoods and especially in the Southland, that's really, really bad. But I wanted to turn more to the political, uh, to the uh, political uh, environment. And, uh, you know, here in LA, we're very lucky that we have the number one climate mayor. I'm being absolutely <laughs> facetious. Uh, Eric Garcetti in office um, to lead us to our glorious green future. Um, but what needs to happen in order to make the LA 100 plan become a reality? Like what political barriers do we need to remove? What are we kind of looking at in terms of opposition? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think that definitely um, we saw some victories in our recent election cycle with the election of Nithya Raman, who's a climate champion and really also has adopted the 
the platform that we also see as necessary for LA. She believes that we also need to transition by 2030. So it's it's great that we're seeing a slight shift in city council to more progressive policies. We have um, a new um, committee of the, I think it's Energy, Climate Change, Environmental Justice, and River Committee. And we have Mitchell Farrell as the chair of that committee now. And in one of the, the recent meetings of the extra committee is what they're calling it, the extra committee, it was Paul Koretz that said that he wanted to see a 2030 scenario planned out. And Mitchell Farrell, the chair of that committee, said that he would like to see 2030 as a scenario as well. So we're seeing council members respond to the constant calls that we're saying we need to act fast, we need a quicker timeline. Now, at the moment, sure, they are just words. So what we can definitely do is to make sure that we continue showing up and continue being pushing um, for them to take action, not just only saying they support 2030 or 2035 or 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 these um, just saying that we they support those timelines, but also doing it. So that's you know making sure that we show up to city council to make public comment to the LADWP board meetings to make to also say that we want to see a quicker timeline. So it's just really making sure that we continue to show up to build coalitions with other organizations. Um, from housing justice to racial justice to economic justice, all of these fights really simply just will entail the fight for justice and building coalitions, building um, welcoming space to have conversations about how we can build comprehensive plans and visions and present these to city council is, is really the work that needs to be, be done moving forward. Absolutely. So we, we actually got a question in the in the chat from uh, Kid Eternity 2020 asking if Bonin and Krikorian are on that committee uh, and then also asking if those are the two that did push to get the study to go to 100 percent. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So Bonin and Krikorian are on the actor committee and they were definitely um, critical council members to moving the motions cool. to initially create the LA 100 study. Nice. I, I wanted to ask, uh, speaking of our infrastructure, because LA's power infrastructure, much like our roads, much like all of our infrastructure, has been terribly neglected to the point where it's a literal danger to life here during our now 12-month-a-year uh, uh, fire season. What mm -hmm. would need to happen to LA's infrastructure to make the LA 100 plan work? Yeah, that's yeah another really good question. I think that one of the so one of the scenarios is they look at transmission as a need that we need to be expanding on in LA. So definitely looking at the potential of expanding transmission. It's definitely a demanding, costly endeavor for us to look into, but um, that is one of the scenarios outlines expanding transmission. I think also just making sure that we build in-basin solar and look into the potential of expanding rooftop solar programs because uh, I would say that, um, and that's also something that our, my fellow organizer in the Food and Water Watch, Jasmine, has been very critical about, has been the um, has been how the the how they've been looking into rooftop solar and it's definitely too low. We need to be making sure that we expand 
rooftop solar and make it accessible to LA residents and making also the expansion of local battery storage accessible as well. These are all really important infrastructures that we have to see in basin in our city rather than building it out elsewhere. We need to just make sure that we're out here focusing locally. And what what will it look like for jobs in the energy sector when the LA 100 plan is in full swing? Because that's always an objection that we hear from like certain IBEW locals that this is going to cost us jobs, that there are a lot of people, especially in frontline communities and communities of color, that rely on high paying fossil fuel jobs and we need to keep those jobs going. So what's your response to that particular objection? Yes, yeah, so I would say that you know, the LA 100 study actually looked into the impacts of what our energy transition would, if it would have a heavy impact on our economy. And throughout the study, it says that there wouldn't be any detrimental impacts or drastic impacts to our economy. As a matter of fact, there are they outline the how, which scenarios um, create jobs and how many. And all of them do create more jobs in our city. And it's the scenario that brings us to the quickest timeline by 2035, the early no biofuel scenario that creates thousands of jobs. So it is very likely that we are able to, one, see a clean energy transition in our city, but one that doesn't leave workers behind. I know that that's essential. We don't, I don't think that we can actually realize a fair, just transition without workers. That is really the definition of a fair and just transition, making sure that we move together with workers and communities. So there, there's evidence in the study that makes sure that we're not going to be losing jobs. It actually creates thousands of jobs. I think the clean energy transition is one of the fastest growing um, job sectors with the most potential right now as we're discussing clean energy transition. So there, there is potential there for us to move forward together in jobs and clean energy. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, Squirrel, you got anything else? Yeah, uh, several actually. I was, I was waiting <laughs> to see if you had anything to ask. Um, but no, um, so one thing I did want to turn to is the date 2035 has come up a lot. Um, and that's one like, you know, I, I used to organize with Sunrise Movement a lot. And 2035 is a really key date when we're talking about global climate change. And I was hoping, one, you could talk about why 2035 is such an important date. And two, what happens if we miss that date? Like what happens if we push to 2045 or if we push to 2050? What are the consequences of not seizing this opportunity? Yeah, so I would say that, you know, this the LA 100 study does look at 2035, but I think we need to be looking at 2030. And that's what Food and Water Watch has been making sure that we push for is a 2030. It's in within the next 10 years. Now we have less than 10 years. It's 2021. But we really need to be looking at 2030 as the goalposts of when we transition to clean energy. And I think that the impacts and the consequences of not moving at the rate that science is saying that we do and what our literal environment is saying that we need to transition can be very dire. I think that, I, I mean, I would love to just put it back to what we saw in Texas and how their energy industry was primarily focused on gas and very pollutive sources of energy. And they saw a 
terrible malfunction of their energy sector to the point where people were going without energy for days. It impacted people's health in horrendous ways. It was truly tragic. And that's something that we have to work on preventing. And so I think that, you know, this fight for 2030 is is real. And it's also just extremely critical in order for us to really preserve our health and our future because we we're seeing it unravel so close in Texas and I don't don't even have to go as far as Texas you know this past year we saw some of the worst fires and I know that we've brought it up this um, in this conversation some of the worst fires we've seen in LA and we had you know breathing centers which just sounds so dystopian to me breathing centers in a pandemic where you have to social distance and care about if you get sick. And it was sad. It was truly sad. And I think that 2030 is really the where we have to be aiming so that we can further prevent any of these crises, health crises, environmental crises. We're seeing it right now in our doorstep. And 2030 has to be the 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 goal for us because it's it really is just a matter of, of health and life here. Absolutely. So uh, last question, how can people get involved? Like what can they do to loop in with Food and Water Watch? What can they do to begin taking action now? What are the things that you really want to see Angelinos beginning to get active around? Yeah, so we would love for folks to get involved in our campaign, our campaign to transition our city to 100% clean energy by 2030. It's a Climate Justice for LA campaign. And we have many actions coming up this um the next couple months and in the this whole year to make sure that our city holds our elected officials accountable and really gets us to that 2030 goal so i have like a, a text opt-in for folks um and with this text opt-in you can stay up to date with our campaign and actions that come up so i'm just gonna say it it's la four one hundred. And you text that to 69866. It's LA, the number 4, 100 to 69866. And you'll get updates on our campaign. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We're always posting really great articles and our events. We actually have a training this coming Wednesday on, you know, building a climate justice narrative and how to share your stories to inspire change. So if folks are interested in that, uh, keep up to date on our Facebook and Instagram. And if you text that, um, we will also send um, links and information to that. So just try to stay involved with uh, our work. There's a lot of ways that you can um, get involved with this. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us tonight, <laughs> Amanda. Um, this has been like really valuable, and I'm really excited to see where the LA 100 plan goes. I know um, LA City Council doesn't do anything without pressure, and we have to really mm -hmm. keep that on. So I want to say thank you all for being at the Vanguard there and making sure people know how to get involved, get educated, get active. Of course, and thank you so much for giving us the space to talk about this. Really looking forward to working with y'all and working with the LA to really push this forward. Absolutely, thank Excellent. you. Great. Well, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm we're gonna we're gonna do prospect. renewable. We, we you really, know, I had to really I, do that. I, I just had a, one story I wanted to tell before we um, before we move on, but I thought By it was funny means. when uh, Toyota was trying to test out their uh, hydrogen cars. 
here in Southern California yeah, because L- like, yeah, LA and Southern California is a major like testing ground for cars because we have so many roads and so many drivers and all that. And so they set up uh, down in Torrance a hydrogen fueling station because they couldn't get permits anywhere else. So they finally got it all said and done and they went to open it. And the first day they opened it, LAFD showed up and was like, fuck no, this is basically just a bomb. You have to shut this down again. And it I took mean, them like another three months because LAFD was like, look, we don't know what happens or how safe this is to use or how easy it is for somebody to screw up and basically blow up a hydrogen fueling station. Like, this is super freaking dangerous. And so that's one reason that having a hydrogen car in the city is such a pain in the ass is there's only a couple of fueling stations. They can only have a limited amount of hydrogen in there because if, like, somebody loses control of their car and slams into it, that could, like, blow up a city block. Like, you can't have massive storage tanks like we do for gas and diesel at most gas stations. Like, it's a really cool technology in one sense where like the only thing it's putting out is water but it's a really dangerous dangerous technology in another sense because of just the physical and the chemical equations that go into that and like hydrogen gas go boom really big like really big it's pretty big it's it's much bigger when there's oxygen with it so as long as the tank itself doesn't have a bunch of oxygen contamination it won't go that big but I mean, it, it seems like if you if you crash into it, it's gonna get int- oxygen introduced to it just from oh, the yeah, it, you know, it will. I mean, the, the atmosphere. Same, the same thing is true. That I mean, it's, it comes down to the same kind of safety requirements as uh, as the regular gasoline fuel stations, which actually I believe store considerably more potential energy in them. But uh, I do understand where the concern yeah. would be coming from. Yeah, it's um, it's um it's fascinating, but it's also dangerous, and we probably should have picked a form of transportation. It doesn't explode like horses. Like when was the last time a horse just exploded, Chris? It, they, it doesn't I, happen. I believe it's been a while. Uh, the, the cases of spontaneous horse combustion are uh, few and far between indeed. So um, yeah. only when you feed them those jalapeno carrots from the from the, the good Mexican places. Then no. But anyway, so let's uh, let's move on after my my terrible, terrible uh, stand up there uh, to COVID, which is still a thing. It's still happening, despite the fact that um. People seem to believe it's not. Indoor dining is uh, booming. The the gyms are open again. The malls never closed. And apparently the beach is packed. So how are we doing, Chris? Yay. Uh, so we're up to, uh, we're still at 3.6 million cases so far uh, in California at this point. Uh, we had, uh, well. Basically all... the population of the city of Los Angeles. Yes, uh, we had a, a, a we're, we're probably going to get close to 4000 new cases today. Uh, we had uh, just under 1300 new cases yesterday. Uh, again, Sundays are still the low reporting day, as you know, that just is what happens. Uh, the number of deaths due to the virus, 118 so far today, 89 yesterday, total of 58,552 in the state of California. Truly tragic and devastating, and it's not actually gone. This this curve is flattening, folks, but it's not flattened. Uh, and more importantly, the new cases by day is also flattening, uh, meaning that it's not getting down to zero. Like we are stubbornly just chilling there, you know. With they've they've seen you know thousands of cases still in the state of California over the last. But we week. but we flattened the curve, right, Chris? Like that's what that's I mean, what matters. Flat. I, I mean, I would it's prefer a, that we a, flatten it a, at yeah. zero, but, you know, I guess. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so when you look at, like, where everything is at right now, L.A. County is still 
you know, the big boy in the block when it comes to the massive number of cases. We have a full third of the cases in the state of California here in Los Angeles County, uh, which is uh, fun because we've only got 25% of the state's population. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the number of vaccinated folks is also continuing to cr- climb uh, very quickly. We had 220,000 new jabs so far today, uh, almost 361,000 jabs yesterday. Uh, that is very, very good news. Uh, moving from the state of California over here to L.A. County, uh, we are now officially in Tier 2. We yep. had 454 cases yesterday, 414 new cases today. Uh, no deaths reported yesterday, which is fantastic. Uh, That's seven, amazing. Seven deaths reported today. So that might be a Sunday thing that was going on, but that's, I mean, this is, this is huge. This, this, this line right here is absolutely huge. And I love that. Um, we are up to 4.2 million, uh, vaccines administered here in LA County, uh, almost a half a million. Uh, well, I mean, if you combine yesterday and today, it's a half a million. I'm I'm expecting that this, this, this 57,000 number is going to go up significantly, uh, but we had 423,000 jabs yesterday. Uh, that is absolutely fantastic. If we can do that, you know, another two weeks, we could be getting very far along the lines of uh, reaching full uh, immunization. I mean, honestly, if we did a half a million jabs a day, every day for two weeks, we would literally finish vaccinating all of LA County. But somehow I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm actually kind of wondering what that, if that 423,000 number is a reporting error, which, uh, looking at the data, yes, it is. Yes, yes, it oh. is. Uh, we're averaging. <laughs> I should have looked at the data before we were talking about it. Um, that's fine. I'm surprised that I'm surprised that a little data error made it in there. That seems to happen um, a lot Often? more than it should in yeah. one of the most technologically advanced states in the most technologically advanced country on the most technologically advanced planet in this solar system. You say that, but you haven't proved that the uh, opposite isn't possible. So, uh, point is that we're we're averaging around 100,000 vaccines a day. They didn't bother uh, reporting any data on Friday or Saturday, apparently. Uh, unclear as to why that happened, but hooray, we got a massive spike uh, to show up on Sunday because that includes Friday and Saturday data. Uh, so yeah, about a hundred thousand a day. So that's still, that's really good. Like we can, you know, at a hundred thousand a day, we've, we've only got another, you know, six ish million people to, to, to get vaccinated. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll take eight weeks. Um, (laughs) we could reach a hundred percent immunization by, you know, summer, uh, if we keep up this pace, but I, I feel like it's going to taper off here at some point relatively soon. Um, which is, well, I mean, they are, you know, on, um, they've already opened up, uh, uh, vaccinations to everyone 50 and over. And then on, uh, April 1st, uh, well, they opened it up a little bit early actually to 50 and over It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be April 1st. So the city, uh, opened up a little bit early on that one. And then by April 15th, everyone 16 and over will be able to get the Pfizer vaccine or 18 and over for Moderna or Johnson and Johnson, which should hopefully see the numbers going up. And it looks like it is getting much easier to get a vaccine than it's been even a couple of weeks ago. Great. The supply chains are, you know, pretty good. Um, we're like, we mentioned on uh, the, uh, I think we, when we mentioned on Friday that like soon we're going to have so many vaccines in the United States of America oh, yeah. 
that we're not even going to need the AstraZeneca vaccine Correct. by the time it gets here. So yep. those are all really, really like good signs for America, at least. Won't talk about the Global South in this um, uh, segment because we're kind of focused on L.A. and L.A. County. But globally, we've still got a lot of hurdles to overcome. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. Um, also, uh, fuck everybody who says that we need patent protection for these vaccines because you are literally arguing for genocide. Um, and I don't care. That's 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 what it is that there's you, you can't convince me that my argument isn't completely correct. Um, fuck Bill Gates. Uh, and uh, yeah, no patents on these. No patents on these. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Fuck. Yep. <sighs> All right. Well. So I want to I want to say, you know, just as a tail on this one, uh, LASU, LAUSD is moving forward with their plan. They're going to be opening up 61 elementary schools and 11 early education centers um, for pretty much immediate kids back to campus um, by the 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 rules that they have in place are that a week before those campuses open, all the students and all the teachers and all the staff will have to get a covid test and then they will be tested weekly after that. Um, while childhood mortality has not really been associated with COVID infections, it's also not probably a good idea to turn our elementary schools into a Petri dish where we're going to be finding out about that. We've already seen in Ohio and other states, or sorry, Iowa and other states that have yep. opened up uh, their educational institutions that uh, teenagers and kids are catching COVID because that's what happens when there's a pandemic and you put people close to each other. So we'll keep an eye on that one for you. But let's... Um, Let's turn to the main, um, the main event, as it were. Now, there's been a lot of coverage on the eviction of the Echo Park Lake community, and so yes, Mitchell so, Farrell is a lying liar yeah, who tells lies. Tells lies. Um, but uh, beyond that, let's let's kind of go back in time about a year ago. The Echo Park encampment was uh, established at Echo Park Lake. Um, people began showing up. They began building things, a community garden. They started a a uh, working program in order to like clean up the park. They lobbied to have the bathrooms open at night. They built their own showers. They built a real community there. And people began to gravitate to it from living in their cars to camping next to each other, to developing a sense of safety, of neighborhood, of community in this small little park, well, large little park, but this small park in the grand scheme of LA that was sort of a, an oasis away from everything that was going on out there. Now, now like any part of LA, the Echo Park Lake community was not untouched by tragedy. I want to see what you guys want. Los Angeles. Hey, I'm sorry. stop it. <laughs> uh, the, the Echo Park Lake community was not untouched by tragedy. There was a drive-by shooting there that injured one of the campers. There was um, there was some sporadic violence that happened there, generally not by the campers, but people from outside the camp. Uh, there were uh, some deaths associated with drug overdoses, but that's something that happens in every corner of Los Angeles, including Beverly Absolutely. Hills and places like USC, where USC... We might forget this, but about a year ago, had a spate of overdoses during their fall semester that made people seriously consider if USC needed to be investigated because, like, four students died in the span of, like, six weeks in their dormitories. You know, substance abuse, alcoholism, violence, these are not things that only happen amongst the young house. They happen amongst the house just as much, but they're hidden away from society and they're not demonized in the same way. Mitch O'Farrell played on the fear of house neighbors, of gentrifiers, of corporate developers to make it seem like the Echo Park Lake community was a danger rather than a group of vulnerable people who were in danger and needed protection. Using Eric Garcetti, uh, using Chief Michael Moore, using the, the NIMBY energy that he built up, Mitch O'Farrell swept in there with hundreds of police officers, like so many cops 
that other areas of the city needed to not be policed on Wednesday and Thursday night because all of the cops were there at Echo Park Lake. On Wednesday night, there was a citywide tactical alert was called. These are not normal things to do when you are housing people. This was not a housing operation. Now, Mitch has caught a lot of hell for this, uh, yeah. including a ground game petition to have him to resign. We're going to have the link in the description, but you can also just Google Mitch O'Farrell resign and go sign that petition, pass it around to all of your friends. Uh, we're going to be delivering that to city council before Wednesday, yep. which in, in a, a show of absolute authoritarianism, <laughs> Nuri Martinez... In a, uh, the week where like very important issues need to be discussed in the city of Los Angeles, has council canceled half of the city council meeting. She canceled the Tuesday meeting. Yep. And so there's only one meeting. It's on Wednesday. There's only three agenda items and no time for public comment because of the way they arrange the agenda. Also, this is just your weekly reminder. Weekly reminder that by law, council is supposed to hold three meetings a week, and Nuri Martinez has not held a Friday meeting. Since the beginning of pandemic, she has just openly and flagrantly been violate, been acting in violation of state law city the charter. entire time. Okay, that too. But also operating. <laughs> but abiding by your city charter is probably part of state law. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But, but yeah, she's been flagrantly <laughs> violating the city charter since she has been the president. Basically, this yeah. is not like a one-off. This is not like an accident. This is something that she's been doing for the vast majority of her term. Remember, she was only made city council president in January, before the pandemic hit, in January. This is so problematic. Well, end of December was when she took over for, um, what's Wesson. his face, for Herb Wesson, but on an oh, interim yeah, basis. Yeah, then they had to vote her in as like the permanent president. But She's only been in that position for a little bit more than a year. And most of that year, she has spent out of compliance with the law. 12 out she's of 15 giving, months. She's giving cover to people like Mitch O'Farrell to break the law and brutalize Angelinos. And so let's go ahead and let's touch base here on the bullshit lies that Mitch O'Farrell has been telling in his email that he sent to supporters about how what he did was a really, really good thing. And it's not actually his fault that this all went so wrong with the press being arrested, with the National Lawyers Guild being arrested, with hundreds of Angelino safety being threatened so he could do a housing operation which left people sleeping on the street. So we'll include a link if anybody feels the need to read the MailChimp posting uh, of Mitch's bullshit. You could also just find it on his Twitter. It's the one with the really bad ratio on it. Um, the fact that he goes in and Chris, says... Chris, Chris. That that doesn't actually narrow it down. All of Mitch's tweets <laughs> have been horribly ratioed, including the one that he posted today of giving people from Echo Park Lake oh, yeah. plants. Yeah. Like he just showed up at their hotel room and was like, here's a plant. I evicted you from your house. Here's a it's, plant. When we evict you from this uh, house, you'll now have to take this plant with you. It can be a yeah. reminder of how many times I've evicted you. It's a it's a housewarming plant for evictions, I guess. Very, very weird ban. Um he says, quote, a small but vocal contingent of outside groups sought to escalate the situation, repeatedly issuing credible threats in an attempt to disrupt our efforts to place people into housing. Everyone has the right to peacefully assemble, but it is simply unacceptable for anyone to thwart our work to house people. Bullshit, Mitch. A, the Bullshit. choice of language there to thwart your work is just... Dude, what, are you a supervillain? Like, seriously? But also, I want to point out that, like, the Echo Park Lake community has been asking Mitch O'Farrell to meet with them 
for a year. They have written him letters. They have published op-eds. They have been on national and international press operations asking Mitch O'Farrell to meet with them, and he has not done it. Correct. He has refused repeatedly, and he got a Lhasa worker fired for treating the people at Echo Park Lake as though they're humans. He went and took someone's job away from them, and we know this from CPRA-requested emails obtained by Michael Kohlhaas that Mitch got Ashley Bennett fired because he didn't like the work that she was doing to protect this community. You're a fucking supervillain, you weirdo. Yes, he is. Uh, he, he is a an absolute fucking tyrant. Uh, he does not like it when anyone challenges his authority. Um, and he is... He's just uh, looking at Garcetti saying, I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> Boss. Yeah. Uh, continues. This is, this is just... Uh, absolutely absurd quote a number of protesters also chose to agitate officers and repeatedly violated a dispersal order after an incident involving the use of strobe lights temporarily blinded an officer this regrettably led to the arrest of 182 individuals including the detainment of two reporters a very unfortunate Uh, outcome we all hoped would be avoided i was gonna say yeah factually incorrect And here's the other thing. Like, a, a couple of things here. Also, One, real uh, quick. The reporters were released quickly. Fucking no, they weren't. bullshit. Fuck you. Our knock reporters were held for five hours. Fuck you, Mitch. They're reporters. Also, uh, on Wednesday night, this isn't even what Mitch is talking about. Wednesday night, when there was only one arrest, uh, the arm of an intercept reporter was broken by an LAPD officer for no reason. Literally no reason. Somebody's arm was broken. There was no antagonism. It was just LAPD pushing and intimidating people. But beyond that, I want to turn back to this, like, strobe light thing. So first off, no officers were temporarily blinded. They, they were not. LAPD's own statements is that the officers feared they would not be able to protect themselves because their, light, their eyes were being hit with uh, light from a strobe light and from flashing lights and from flashlights. Two, if you're familiar with the story of John Horton, he is a man who was beaten to death by L.A. Sheriff's Department deputies in a jail in L.A. County with their flashlights. They hit him with their flashlights so hard it dented his skull. It broke his bones. One side of this equation uses flashlights to harm and kill people. And it is not, it is not the civilian side. Correct. Absolutely disgusting behavior, and Mitch is being apolog- creating an apologia for LAPD, and it's just absolutely, absolutely bullshit. So that's the thing is he's like he's not even smart enough to get on the same page as LAPD. He published a press statement that is can that is contradicted by LAPD statements. Yep. Like his staff isn't even smart enough to pick up the phone to call LAPD and be like, "Yo, let's get on the same page." Like the incompetence here is staggering, especially when you realize how much money, how many people, how much economic activity happens in his district. CD 13 is literally a globally important district with the entertainment and technology companies that are housed there. This is beyond amateur league bullshit. Absolutely. Um, Also, I mean, we've got other things to talk about rather than just uh, this absolutely atrocious and completely, uh, you know, just it is, it is a fact free zone. <laughs> Mitch, it's called it's called male chimp, but that doesn't mean you're supposed to fling your poo around on it. 
Uh, quote, let's be clear, though, none, and that is bold and underlined, none of our work with unhoused individuals at Echo Park Lake stretching over a period of months and continuing into this week has been violent or police-led. End quote. You broke a reporter's arm by the <laughs> cops. The cops, the cops, the cops. That's we, all I saw was cops. I didn't see lots of workers. Yeah, but also, like, in, in, in addition to the fact that him saying continuing into this week is absolute bullshit because... Clearly, it was all cops all the time on Wednesday and Thursday. But the uh, the point here is that we've seen video after video after video of folks in Echo Park around the lake living in their tents being harassed routinely by both LAPD and by park rangers. And I am very sure that... Uh, yeah, uh, so the the, the echo the, the park ranger arming motion that was coming out of uh, yeah. buckets, right? That wasn't a Mitch. Yeah, that motion. was Bruce Guy, you know. But yeah. I mean, but Mitch O'Farrell supported it. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, like this yeah. is this is there is a like, and it's that it's no coincidence that the biggest cheerleader for this fucking sweep, aside from the mayor, who's just like, hey, hey. Things happened, and I'm just going to say that it was good, you fucking moron. As the mayor of this city who has no control over the goings-on in this city, it doesn't seem sometimes even... things just happen. <laughs> yeah, no, well, and, and Joey Buckets came out and lied that everyone was housed, but beyond oh, yeah. that, there was, a, there was a very good Twitter thread with a woman named Donna Dew, who was an Echo Park Lake resident, um, who has decided to go into Project Room Key and hopes it works out this time, even though it's very restrictive, even though it's going to cause problems, but she had been living in her car. And yeah. she moved into Echo Park Lake. One of the reasons she did that was so the cops would stop harassing her in her car because they would see her sleeping in her car and they would roll up on her and they would antagonize her and they would threaten her with arrest and threaten to tow her car. And she had to get to work and stuff. Yeah. And this is a completely police-led effort, right? People do not end up on the streets without the help of the police. This is something that they do over and over and over again, be it from gentrifying neighborhoods where police patrols increase to police criminalization, leading to people going to jail, making it harder for them to get permanent, stable housing. Like, all of this involves the police. And Mitch attempting to say that the police were never involved here is absolutely ridiculous, especially when you saw photos in the effing LA Times of police officers in riot helmets strolling through the park peeking into people's tents, asking people if they wanted to go to a hotel room. The police officers sat there and stopped people from getting back to their belongings, yeah. told people, no, you can only go into the park where your stuff is one at a time. Yep. It's the amount of lies is just absolutely ridiculous. And this is what Mitch has skirted on for so long. Let's not forget that he has an extra year in office because he was one of those lucky council members on the cusp when we switched, when we, when we switched, to on-cycle elections, meaning that every local election in L.A. City and L.A. County has to align with federal elections. Before that, our local elections, like the election that Mitch O'Farrell won in 2017, was an off-year, an odd-year election. So the only thing that was happening was local elections, meaning that voter turnout would be incredibly low. In yep. a district with 250,000 people, at least, Mitch O'Farrell got 18,000 votes in 2017. That is absolutely ridiculous. And beyond laughable, that is so little of a mandate, and Mitch is beginning to learn that. Yep. The David Rue effect is in full effect here. People like Mitch O'Farrell, who have coasted by for their entire career, understand that their cushy job at city council, where they don't have to show up and do the work, is suddenly threatened. And instead of getting out of the fucking way, he's taking a Trumpian turn. Absolutely. 
Speaking of which, uh, this is the final thing I'm going to point out from this absolutely yeah. atrocious letter. There's so much more to yell about tonight, I, Chris. I we, know, we should move I know, on. I know. Quote, I'm disappointed that some local elected officials, this is bold, valuing politics over finding real housing solutions in their own districts, then it ends the bolding, have sought to mischaracterize our successful work to house people. They have also wrongly conflated our efforts to house individuals with our larger conversation about police reform. In addition to misleading people, this rhetoric does a great disservice to to Angelinos, both unhoused and housed, and it needs to stop. It needs to stop, Squirrel. It's... I mean, so one fun fact. So uh, several people from Echo Park Lake were offered Project Room Key. Yes. And they were offered uh, hotels out in places like Downey, where they're like, yeah. well, I don't live in Downey. Why would I go to Downey? I, my life is here in Echo Park, so I'm going to stay around here on the streets. Other people were offered hotel rooms up in Lancaster. Yep. And they got there, and the hotel was like, oh, your room's not ready yet. You'll have to sleep on the street. Mitch is lying when he says people were housed. Not everyone was housed, and no one was put into permanent housing. No. These project room keys are coming to an end, and this is in a week where we found out the city of Los Angeles gave back, gave back $40 million of FEMA money because they didn't know how to spend it. Is this Brewster's fucking million? How do you not know how to spend money? How the fuck do you do that? Like, when when the yearly budget comes in, they can't rush fast enough to shove that money into LAPD's budget. But yep. being asked to spend it on anything other than cops, they're like, shit, I don't – $40 million? I mean, God, we're just little old L.A. We only have an $11 billion a year budget. What, what could we ever do with $40 million? Gee golly, mister, this is too much money for us. We better, we better give it back to Uncle Joe. Fucking Christ. Absolute yokel shit. Absolutely. And, and like – the idea that he so he, he's pointing in this statement, he is pointing directly at uh, Nithya Raman and Mike Bonin as well as Mark Ridley Thomas, um, much more strongly at the first two because MRT was like, you know, his he responded and he, he criticized this, but he didn't come out as vociferously. Nithya fucking showed up on Wednesday night. Bonin was, you know working behind the scenes to get shit to happen as well. Like there yeah. was action. And Nithya Raman, just to just to put a fine point on this, she showed up at Echo Park Lake Wednesday night, may have had a gun pointed at her by a cop Jesus. and was not allowed entrance to the park. And the, the first one I heard on a verbal report. So I'm going to say a might there. I don't have it confirmed, but the second one, she was denied entry to the park by an LAPD officer. She is an elected official in the city. That tells you where the power lies when an LAPD officer looks at an elected official and says, no, you're not getting into the park. We don't have civilian control of this military. We haven't for a long time. Michael Moore is a general in charge of a paramilitary force who refuses to answer city council phone calls from now on. Yep. He has taken that turn into paramilitary junta leader. He is no longer to be trusted, and he has to be fired. Absolutely. 100%. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to the, uh, the spiciest shit going on. Now, uh, as some of you may presently be aware... My grammar sucks. But beyond that, <laughs> local news media is really bad, which is why we started Knock.LA yep. as an alternative to the really shitty local news media. Yep. Now, reports started circling uh, Wednesday night, just after the action had wrapped up, that some radio chatter was caught, perhaps by LAPD uh, officers in helicopters, uh, talking about things like dumping uh, helicopter fuel on protesters and lighting them on fire. Now, 
Nock, through a source of ours, has gotten access to a more complete version of these logs. We can tell you a couple of things. One, it's not LAPD officers. LAPD's no. helicopters are not broadcasting on an open band that you're able to pick up that way. Mm -hmm. These are local news station crews in the helicopters, uh, most likely private contractors hired out to various local news stations that they work for and or that they work with and sell the footage to. The second thing I can tell you is um, this is some really dark shit. Yep. And the joke about dumping helicopter fuel on Angelinos is not the worst thing that was caught on tape that night. Yep. So channels like KCAL, like KABC, like KTLA, y'all need to, to have a real come to Buddha moment yep. and come to come to deal with the fact that the people, the men in your helicopters who chase high speed chases around, who gin up pro-police uh, militarism, who talk about wanting to see suspects beaten and harmed should not be allowed in the air to cover these protests, should not be allowed in the air to cover anything in Los Angeles. You should break your contracts with these companies if they do not fire these pilots and crews. Absolutely. This is unconscionable behavior. The fourth estate is supposed to be the voice of the people. And you're paying a lot of money to men in helicopters who want to do harm to people for expressing their First Amendment rights. Men who joke about doing Blackwater-level war crimes to Angelinos. And we have it on tape. We have the receipts. This is despicable, and this is disgusting. And I'm going to put up a content warning for anyone listening, anyone watching. This may not be something you want to listen to if you're sensitive. You may want to take a moment and catch your breath and make sure you're in a good place, because this is disturbing audio. This is the audio feed that was captured, given to Knock.LA. We have only edited it into, insofar as we have cut out chunks of it, we have not conflated any clips. We have not done anything other than cut from an in point to an out point. And it's bad. It's very, very, very bad. So let's start off with talking about what it is that these pilots think about what they were doing that night. Roger. Why are you still hanging out? Oh, you know, just uh, watching a bunch of entitled little kids. All right. Let's So that gives you a, a little bit of a taste for where this is going. Um, now, entitled little kids, Chris, uh, yeah. like entitled, entitled to the the park that that we pay for, that we the people own, entitled yeah. to standing up for our fucking neighbors who we don't want to see beaten and murdered by the police. Let's let's also not forget LAPD shot and killed another man today, just you know, because they do that literally every fucking day. Yep. So um, after that, there's a little bit of confirmation here. Uh, directly from the tapes to tell you uh, what is going on, who these people are, just just so that in, in case anybody was wondering why it is that we're so certain that this was uh, TV cameramen, uh, because this is literally what they say. Where are you at, Dale Bobby? I'm playing TV cameraman with uh, Harry. Oh, jeez. That's probably a good thing they got you sitting last seat. It's probably good they've got you sitting left seat, as in if he were in the right seat, uh, he'd be doing something he'd, else. He'd be in control of the guns on the aircraft. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, which, which one am I going to do next? Which, what was the order that these came in in? Um, 
Also, I'm going to oh, say a yeah. big thank you to Chris because Chris Chris listened to all of this stuff. Um, I, I I have I have not heard it until now, so uh, thank you for doing that, Chris. It was it was. I <laughs> I don't think my computer would have survived. I honestly, it would have been like when I used to try and watch Fox News and I would black out and I'd wake up and there'd just be a broken TV and I'd be like, oh, fuck, not again. Yeah, well, so uh, here here is a you know just in case you weren't sure what it was that these uh, TV. Uh, news helicopter pilots think about the people that were on the ground. Uh, here, here's here's a little bit more of that. That's so aggravating. I'm fuming. This is what happens when you don't spank your children. It's ridiculous. I wonder if they get participation trophies after the uh, the protest. They should get tased. That's what. <laughs> That's a hell of a participation trophy, and I can get on board with that, right? Yeah, and this this is uh, I posted a video of this because uh, I had a good uh, Overwatch point, um, and this was when LAPD's cruisers rolled up and were pushed back by the crowd um, because LAPD, like, thank the Buddha, decided to not run over protesters, which they've they've done before. They've run cars through crowds of protesters, but LAPD backed down the street um, before coming and forming another skirmish line. And this really upset the objective journalists in the helicopters above them who are clearly on one side of this and clearly do not care. And again, I'm going to remind you, a reporter's arm was broken by an LAPD officer. Not even the fraternity of journalism binds these men together. Uh, they're not journalists. They're just pilots who are freelancers and literally guns for hire, apparently, because um, check out this part. Send for missiles and everybody would go home. Missiles and everyone will go home. At least a water. At least water cannons. Big water supply right there. <laughs> Did I hear a TV7, TV9 going guns? <laughs> Someone asked it. Yeah, and that's true. Perfect. Five minutes back to your uh, seven o'clock. This one's a long one. Seven swinging around the north side, right over this, and I'll uh, probably end up parking with you guys on the south side. Copy. Technically legal if I pull a 500 AGL hover right over the Echo Park, right? The lake, yeah. Brown guys can't talk to each other. Yeah. My partner said he's way too high. <laughs> Not like they need to discuss any tactics anyway. I want to see what you guys wash your underbelly with the uh, with the uh, spring there. <laughs> Don't test me. I'm gonna need to keep clean my camera. Yeah, so they're talking about flying. So one of them was saying it's technically legal for him to go into a 500-foot hover over uh, the lake, uh, which would be causing a massive amount of downdraft, uh, which would then you know, be spraying water all over the place. They're talking about trying to wash the underbelly of their helicopters with the fountain, which, again, would be uh, spraying a ton of water uh, in, the, in, you know, in the not exactly warm weather at night. Uh, here in Los Angeles, all over protesters and people who are uh, in their tents. 
Uh, and this is all just one big fucking joke for these assholes. Well, and also the the part at the beginning where they talk about uh, losing missiles and going yeah. guns and going using military guns. speak to talk about uh, strafing a crowd of unarmed Angelinos um, who are exercising their First Amendment rights. Like that, this is yeah. what these people think of the people that they're covering. Like this is the same attitude that has made LA the car chase capital of the world because they gin this up into these exciting things that make people want to watch, that make people get this adrenaline rush and pull in the ratings and give them more. Basically, it's it's all to sell advertising space. We know that. Oh, yeah. But the other consequence is that it kills people. Yeah. Albert Corrado, who is uh, running for Mitch O'Farrell's seat, is running because his sister Melly was killed at the conclusion of a car chase that LAPD uh, simply would not pull back on that they chased someone until that person ran into a Trader Joe's and then LAPD opened fire on that Trader Joe's on a busy Sunday morning, killing Maleta Corrado. These guys want to see more of that. Yep. They are salivating for the blood, for the gore, for the harm, for the suffering. And for some reason, our local news stations are paying them to be up in the air doing that. Yep. Got one last clip. Um, this is the one that really was like, oh, oh, okay, now I understand where these assholes are coming from because, well, I mean, you'll get it. Hold to hover right there and drop it down about a thousand feet. It'll be perfect. Don't tempt me. You gotta clean off the EMG equipment. Let's just say if I had the Blackwater helicopter down here right now functional, I would do it. Yeah, so that was a continuation war of the crimes. Same, same discussion from before, but apparently let's one of just, these guys... Uh, let's just let's do some war crimes with Eric fucking Prince. Let's yeah. uh let's let's uh let's murder some uh some Angelinos because, you know, joking about Blackwater, a company that murdered hundreds if not thousands of Iraqis in the course of earning lots and lots of money stealing it from the American taxpayer. That's the you know, fucking hilarity. The height of fucking comedy, Chris. Yeah. Um, so... but anyways, I'm going to I'm not sure if anybody from like KCBS, KTLA, KABC. I'm not sure if any of you ever watch this, any of you listen to this. Don't worry. We're going to be putting this on Twitter. And we're going to be blowing this the fuck up, and we're going to be covering it in knock. But um, this is a not this is not okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go full cancel culture here and say the guys flying your helicopters should not be celebrating war crimes. And those are not people fired. that you should be employing. Correct. Period. End of fucking discussion. That, so just for a little bit more uh, clarity on that one, that Blackwater comment came uh, within two minutes of them saying, uh, did I uh, did I hear uh, TV7, TV9 going guns? Uh, so just for a little bit more context for everyone, these people are fucking monsters and they should all lose their goddamn jobs. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else I want to talk about right now. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very mad. Um, no, this is disturbing shit. And, um, you know, again... For anyone listening, you know, take the time, like center yourself. Like this is scary shit. Like it's scary to know that the people who are hovering in these machines above us will try and kill us if they're given the opportunity to, that they in fact want to and fantasize about that. Yep. Um, you know, it's been a long week. It's going to be some more longer weeks. It's going to be a long, hot summer. The Derek Chauvin trial is just getting started and we're going to have to see what's going on. In the meantime, uh, please uh, head over to Ground Game's Twitter or our Instagram and sign the petition to tell Mitch O'Farrell to resign. Yes. To head over to Knock LA, read Cerise's Castle, Cerise Castle's ongoing series, 
a, a tradition of violence, the history of the uh, deputy gangs, the L.A. Sheriff's Department. Um, today's um, release was um, hard to read, but it's necessary and it's meaningful. And reading about how deputies in our jail system routinely beat and hold people against the law and kidnap them over petty, stupid reasons should disquiet every part of your soul. Um, other than that, uh, this week we've got the city council meeting on Wednesday. Um, please tune in for that. There's not going to be a lot of chance to make public comment, but please go over and uh, try and you know do what you can. Listen in. Call your city council member. Call their field deputies. Yep. Email their field deputies. Make a lot of noise. You know, They have to see that the pressure is there. We have to outweigh the opinions on next door, which we know we do. This, what happened this week has radicalized a lot of people. They don't see this as compassion. Even people who wanted the Echo Park Lake encampment closed understand that what happened there with the police response is a scary escalation. And as the LA 2028 games are coming closer and closer, we're going to see more of that. Joe Buscaino, Eric Garcetti, they want to see more of that. They called this a success. Yep. There are times where you have to fight. There are times where you have to take a stand, and this is one of those times. As Bill Prislecki, the executive director of Ground Game, correctly noted on Twitter, the, and Bill has a degree in history. You know, he doesn't have a degree in social work. He doesn't have a degree in being an organizer. He doesn't have a silly degree in philosophy like I do. He has a degree in history. And a really good way to tell what you should be doing is to be on the opposite side of the line from the people building concentration camps. LAPD, Mitch O'Farrell, Eric Garcetti are building concentration camps. That's what they're doing, and that must be stopped. And Joey Buckets has one planned for a couple of weeks from now, we're pretty sure. So stay tuned in, folks. Uh, hit up bit.ly slash ggeventscal for a list of all of the upcoming events happening around us. Wednesday morning, it's going to be a special meeting of the city council that's how they're able to avoid having general public comment uh nuri hates to hear from us so please make sure to call in and uh force her to hear a little bit at least uh they're gonna keep it short they're gonna keep as few people from speaking as possible um and uh yeah just be prepared and then as as usual we're now into the weekly protests um for uh the calling for an end for the police associations uh, hosted by Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and a coalition of, of uh, allies in that fight. Those are hosted right at 1313 West 8th Street uh, on Wednesdays starting at, I believe it's 3 o'clock. Uh, haven't yes. been able to make it to those uh, for a bit now, unfortunately. Hooray for having another job. Um, but yeah, please come out if you can and uh, join us in solidarity with our allies whenever and wherever possible because together we will win this. And then Hopefully yeah. this week, again, we'll be able to do a nice little fun, like, you know, escape from reality where we talk about the dystopian future envisioned in the expanse as we start going straight into season two of Belt a Louder for the people in the back, which is a fun little escape that Squirrel and I get to do along with Logan. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. Y'all should tune in if you can. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. It is. So 7 p.m. Are we still doing it? Yeah, it's at 7 p.m. Yeah, it's 7 p.m. And, and then also, uh, don't forget, yeah, 
And then also don't forget on uh, April 7th, which is not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, uh, Cerise Castle is going to be at Knock It on Knock It Night, along with a host of other people, uh, yeah. Maggie Clancy, who is the uh, managing editor of Knock.LA and yours um, truly are going yep. to be hosting. It is going to be a really good show. It's going to be a really hard show. Yeah. And I don't know, like. You're going to have Andres Kwan on there, too, from ACL. Yeah, no, we're going to have some great people on there, but I just like. It's going to suck. You know, maybe, it's gonna be like, maybe we should, maybe we should just sell out, like, you know, I mentioned I went to the same school as Megan McCain, and maybe we should just, like, sell out and become, like, a, a view-type operation. <laughs> maybe not. Um, thank no. you all very much again for tuning in. Um, it's, you know, stay safe out there. Stay together. Um, solidarity to everyone, especially those facing police repression, eviction, and displacement. Um, it's... The the moral arc of history does not bend towards justice. It has to be pulled that way, and we're going to fucking pull it that way. Absolutely. So uh, let me pull up my closing spiel because I didn't have it in front of me. I apologize. But, uh, yeah, as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page on Twitter, on Instagram, at Ground Game LA. And, of course, this podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Also, please follow us along on twitter.com slash knock D-O-T-L-A because that's where we do all the things, and I do the live tweets. It's really fun. Um, Of course, you can check the description of this podcast for links to sources, uh, links to actions, and links to social media because... Where else are we going to put all the links? So thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. This is um, this week's been hard, um, but together we can win, and we must win because we have no other choice. Thank you very much. Stay safe out there, and talk to you soon. Bye.